0: So now that everybody who wants to learn has left, we are here doing something else this hour. My name is Dee. It is great to be with you this morning. Thank you for that reading of Scripture. That was wonderful. That's the passage we're digging into this morning, and I am excited to do that with you. The focus of um, my thoughts this week have been on that closing verse, First Corinthians chapter four, verse twenty. The kingdom of God is not merely talk; it's power. Feels a little bit like it is, um, oh, dangerous or uncertain to jump into what it means to want the power of the kingdom of God. There's some circles where that's all it gets talked about. There are other circles where we talk about a lot of other things but are hesitant to talk about the power of the kingdom of God. What is that? What does it mean? What might it look like for power to be part of our life? I'd like to dig into that a little bit this morning and consider what Paul is conveying in this passage and what it might mean for us this day, this week, this month, to let this become a vital part of our journey. For those of you that are new this morning, thanks for coming. It is great to have you here. We've been in a series for several weeks in Corinthians. I don't want you to feel left out at all, but you can jump in in this spot where we're at. But I will, for everybody's sake, give just a little bit of the background of what's come before chapter 4. This is a letter from Paul to the church at Corinth, a church he likely gathered together and helped to form. After he had been in Thessalonica, then down to Athens, he then landed for 18 months, which was a long stint for Paul, in Corinth. He gathered together a group of believers and left them to move on to other places to share the good news. He went on to Ephesus, and it was in Ephesus that he is writing back this letter to the church at Corinth. He had received a letter from them, and he had also heard about what was taking place in Corinth from some visitors that had come to visit him in Ephesus. It seems to me that Paul was trying to figure out what was real news and what was fake news so that he knew how to address the church at Corinth. And so, as he works his way through this, he addresses some of the things he's heard about, regardless of which category it falls into. He's stepping into the mix and trying to figure out what it means to continue to have a voice into this church and to address some of their issues. So, he starts off the letter with some very kind words, some nice affirmations speaking about all the good characteristics of the church, and then quickly makes a shift into the divisions that he hears about in the church. Divisions that he feels are um, maybe at the mildest unbecoming, at the worst actually counter to the kingdom of God. And so in chapter 1, he's beginning to dig into what those divisions look like and how they're beginning to affect not only the body of believers, but those who look on. Then he moves into a discussion about two components of the way in which God works in our life. One is by virtue of Christ living in us and the hope that we have in having the mind of Christ and then In chapter 2, the work of the Holy Spirit and what that work of the Holy Spirit will look like. It seems as if it's a diversion from addressing this division issue in the church, but it seems to me that really is laying a foundation for why he's saying what he's saying. Not just giving a context, but also giving a recipe for how they might address the issues that he observes in the church. And so, having talked about the divisions, talked about the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit within us, he then moves back to addressing the divisions in the church in chapter 3. And then we come to chapter 4, where Paul begins to talk about his own role as an apostle, and kind of uses... His discussion is a comparison to how he sees the people in Corinth. And in the midst of this, we find Paul acknowledging that there's a whole lot of talk at the church of Corinth, a whole lot of chatter, a whole lot of big words. And he says, I think that there's a whole lot of that that's just hot air, a bunch of big talkers. We'll see. I'm going to show up, and we'll see if uh, my analysis isn't true, because I want to make the point that the kingdom of God is not just talk. It's about power. So what, what might that mean for us this morning as we wrestle with the contrast between just talk? And living an empowered life. See it seems to me that. We find ourselves in this spiritual journey. For those who have attempted to make. Christ the Lord of their life. We receive forgiveness. For the things that we do. Our transgressions. Forgive us Lord our transgressions or our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. There is this forgiveness for the things we've done, this behavior that has gone against others or against God or against myself. And so we ask for forgiveness and receive it gracefully from God. It then seems apparent that we embark on this journey to try and correct our behavior. We've been forgiven for the things we've done, So we're going to engage in this discipline, this this plan of attack, where we're going to bring our behavior into compliance with God's law. Since I've been forgiven, I want to work at getting it right so I don't have to keep asking for forgiveness, and this behavior becomes the focus of our attention. The problem is that behavior arises out of the heart. Both words and deeds. It says that the tongue speaks out of the abundance of the heart, the overflow of the heart. Likewise, our behavior springs forth out of what's happening on the inside of us. We don't need greater discipline for our behavior. We need a transformation of our heart. And that's what God offers to us. Yes, I forgive you. Are you ready to start working on the heart? Yes, grace is freely given for you. Are you ready to start digging in? Yes, I want you to know you are my children. I am calling you my own. Are you ready to start tackling the things of the heart? I don't find that very easy to do. For a variety of reasons. It is. So very true that I have been hurt. And I fear being hurt again. And that drives so much. Of my behavior. My hurt. Produces. Just like on. My skin, when it's injured, scar tissue, that actually is more resilient and harder than it was before that injury took place. It happens with bones. It can happen inside as well as outside. There is a um, scar tissue, a hardness that develops, that helps that spot being injured again The problem is when I have been hurt and I fear being hurt again, I start hardening other parts of my life. Instead of just one small portion of my heart having a little bit of scar tissue, my fear begins to harden all of that because I don't want to be hurt again. I don't want that pain again. And the fear begins to drive me to places of avoidance, of surface living, of giving myself over to things that are safe. But I would contend that it goes further than that. I find myself seeing the world through those hurts so that my eyes have lenses that interpret things, whether they're there or not. I hear through those same filters, I am hypersensitive to the things that might hurt me again. And I put up this hard front, this calloused front. In fact, sometimes it goes beyond that. And I put on an air of confrontation, of aggressiveness of movement toward and against whatever it is that might be hurtful or might be harmful. I, you've heard me say this before, but I've got to say, Paul seems to repeat himself, himself several times as we're going through this, and I find myself having to do the same thing if we're going to follow through with what Paul says. But I have eyes that see a particular way. They really don't see at all. I have ears that hear a particular way. And I have to confess, they don't really hear that well. And a heart that's become hard enough that I can't risk anymore. I can't risk. Somebody reaching to that tender place and raising the sensitivity so high that everything within me contracts. I need a transformation from the inside. That's what God's Spirit offers. But we've got to be willing to move into that place for God's Spirit to work. If you've had an opportunity to be on the water out in San Diego Harbor or maybe you've just looked from the shore and observed that out in our harbor we have a number of buoys that are out there, these large metal flotation in both red and green. Some of you are well aware, some may not be, that as large ships come from the ocean into the harbor, they need to stay within those boundaries between the red and the green buoys. The purpose of that is so that they don't get to a place that's too shallow and get stuck or scrape bottom, and our harbor really is not that deep. And so it becomes very important for boats as they come in to stay within those confines until they get to where they are planning to port or weigh anchor. If you are a much smaller boat, it is your task to stay alert to those that might be coming in from the ocean. You're free to sail or motor through all of those areas. But when one of those large boats, a freight ship, a military ship, a passenger boat is coming in, you need to get out of the way because they can't move as quickly or as nimbly as you might be able to. And even if they could, they're probably not going to change their pathway, so just get out of the way. When I've had the opportunity to uh, be on a boat and determine its course, I've tried to stay very aware of those things and have prided myself on being aware of those shipping lanes or those traveling lanes, but there was one occasion when I was out on the water and in a very rapid fashion, one of these gray boats that looks like an inflatable but it's bigger and stronger and sturdier with this um, uh, the portion of the boat that comes up that houses all of the equipment with a little landing on top of that on which rests multiple machine guns came to me very quickly and rapidly and I may be wrong, but it appears that they are 19- and 20-year-olds who have their hands on the triggers of the machine guns, and that is not to disparage at all 19- or 20-year-olds. It's just a little unsettling that I have nothing more than a halyard in my hand and a rudder in the other hand. And... uh, I'm pretty powerless in that moment, well, this boat came to me very rapidly, stopped right beside my boat, and said, I have to get out of the way. And I was startled by that, I didn't know why they were coming up, but I looked around thinking I'd try and be very aware, and I didn't see any major ship, I didn't see anything coming down on me quickly, and noticing how perplexed I was, he informed me that there was a nuclear sub that was coming right behind me, and I was in the way. Oh. That was the last thing I wanted to do, was be in the way of a nuclear sub. And I saw the, um, those boats, tiny small boats, from my perspective that were accompanying it, but then I saw the periscope coming up and realized, yeah, I get it, I'm sorry, moving out of the way quickly. As I've thought about that, I have thought of the many times I've looked across the waters of the harbor or the ocean if you're on the shore, and how much is going on beneath the surface. There's a lot going on beneath the surface. And some of that stuff's really important. Some of it can be um, incredibly explosive, some of it can be incredibly beneficial. And there it rests beneath the surface, out of sight. So it is in my journey, beneath the surface of the waters, there's a whole lot going on. There's a whole lot that can really propel me in good and beneficial ways. There are some things that can be rather explosive. There are some things that are incredibly important. It is so easy for me to live a life that keeps all of those things completely submerged, unattended. Move in all of the directions that allow me to just do the things that are visible. Address the issues that can be seen by others. But so often the things that in this moment are really, really important are actually just beneath the surface. And I need my attention drawn to them if God's going to do a work in my heart. They are things that hold me in a number of ways. They are things that I said can propel us in good directions. They are also chains that can bind us Paul says right in the beginning of this letter, I know a lot of you have uh, judged me in a variety of ways. I've got to tell you, it seems like all of those things by which you make judgments are pretty pointless. He said, I don't even care if the courts of human creation judge me. All of that stuff is pretty pointless to me. I care deeply about what God judges. the passage that we saw read earlier in the service from Matthew chapter 5 about loving our enemies. What an impossible task until the core inside begins to change. Not too far after that passage in chapter 6 of Matthew, we have that passage you've heard me reference several times in this look at Corinthians. And that has to do with how we judge others the speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye and the beam in my own eye that passage in chapter 6 of Matthew says that the measurements by which we measure others that's how we're going to be measured the rods that we hold up against somebody else to see of their success or their skills those are the measurements that are going to be used toward us it seems to me that it's easy and reading that to think that somehow that is Judgment Day stuff, and it may be, I don't know fully how God works all of those things, but I do know this, that that has very real implications for how I live today. The way in which I judge others comes full circle around and become the judgments that get applied to me. Sometimes it's by others. We see it all the time in the political shift that happens as the pendulum goes back and forth. The group in the minority often casts all these kinds of judgments about who those who are in the majority, how they lead, how they operate, and create all kinds of measuring sticks as to identify their failures or poor performance. When the pendulum swings and the group that was in the minority becomes the group that's leading, now they are subjected to the exact same kind of criticisms that were levied when they were in the minority. That's how the things swing. The the judgments, the measurements that we cast are the ones that get poured back on us. We live that way sometimes with our children, for those of us who are parents or have nephews or nieces. We find ourselves sometimes creating measuring sticks for our kids, and we never allow them to move past those measurements. We somehow lock our children into sixth grade attitudes, and when they are trying to grow up, we make all kinds of judgments or assumptions about their behavior as if they could never grow. We've been hurt enough or observed it enough or felt like they've ruined trust enough that somehow we keep them locked into a way of being that is as much our imprisonment as it is a chain upon them. How difficult it is, but how important it is to believe that it's possible to grow, to trust them in new ways. We create measurements that sometimes don't come back to haunt us from others, but haunt us ourselves. We make judgments based on looks, based on position or rank based on some level of success. And then as the years pass, and some of those very things begin to go through our fingers like mist that we can't hold on to, we find ourselves not measuring up to the measuring stick that we thought was so important in previous years. And we become entrapped with the very chains that we were imposing on others. What a heavy load. What an impossible weight. Jesus comes to us and said, "Yes, I forgive." Now are you ready to work on that stuff? Is the behavior cycle gotten old enough to you where you're ready to dig beneath the surface? Where you're ready to examine some of those places that you that you really thought were We're too tender to trust to anyone. Could you trust me? I'm not saying this is going to be pain-free, but I'm saying it leads to a life that is filled with empowerment. To live in those places where I am subjected to those kinds of measuring sticks over and over again. To live in a place where Behavioral actions are the only measurements of faithfulness and truth that leaves me trapped in a cell of my own making. God has said, here's the key. Trust me. Let's, let's risk. Let's risk exposing some of those things. It reminds me, I don't know if this fits well for you, but for me it helps. It reminds me of Tom Fleurledge, a kid I knew in fifth grade. After PE class, we leave, we go to the locker room, I'm sitting on the bench, just thinking through the process of getting ready to go to whatever it was that was next in my fifth grade schedule. And Tom Fleurledge walks over to me And he, in a very frustrated, intense way, said something to me that I didn't fully understand then, and I still don't know what it was. And at the end of about two sentences, he levels a right-hand hook across my jaw that came totally unexpected. I was so startled by it, I just looked up and stared at him. And there were some other kids in the locker room that grabbed Tom and grabbed me, and I wasn't doing anything, I was just sitting there, so uh, they didn't keep me from doing anything. Tom was restrained and pulled away. I don't know what else he was going to do, but it was a strong right hook. Something had happened inside of Tom that welled up inside of him, so strong, so powerful, he just flailed out. Now, I know in our civilized culture we would look at that as being behavior that seemed so over the top, inappropriate, there are so many better ways to deal with that, and if he and I had been sent to the principal's office, I'm sure the principal would have said that to Tom. Nobody got in trouble, so that speech didn't take place, but as I think about it, I think how... Much work we put into holding back all of the emotions that we feel because we don't know how to give expression to them and we fear what that might look like. It's not just anger like Tom, it's also joy. It's not just despair, it's also hope, it's not just uncertainty, it's the ways in which we are not certain we can trust our emotions of love. We have become so good at keeping the submarines under the surface. Paul is saying the kingdom of God is not just about chatter, it's not just about words, it's about empowerment. He tells us that one of the things that keeps us from moving toward that empowerment are the ways in which we judge life and judge the world. We judge them by so many of these things that are external that keep us keep us from digging beneath the surface, setting sound down those ways of looking at the world and instead coming to a place where we actually trust God with our heart, where we trust the spirit with the submarines in our life, where we trust ourselves to step into those places and risk Loving again. Risk stepping into that conflict. Risk what might result in a little bit more scar tissue, but insisting that I am going to keep my heart soft enough to try again. To work at it again. To hope again. To love again to trust again. There are seasons where I stop hearing my wife because everything I hear goes through a filter of past experiences. There are times when I stop seeing a friend again because I know what those actions imply. There are times I find myself living appropriately inauthentic because it fits well with the setting. That's not power, that's powerlessness. living in a place where you trust God with your heart, with your very inner soul, it is what evokes a power to live out who we are and the kingdom of God. To do that is to be transformed and to live out of that place is to be transformative. It is the source of power. It is the Spirit's work within us. Risky? Yeah, it sure feels like it. Uncertain? Oh my goodness, yes. Because I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what circumstances are going to come my way. But if I'm living as Paul speaks about, where I'm looking to God for God's evaluation... I'm living into God's love. I've invited God to move past my behavior and begin the work of transformation and to trust that out of the heart then my actions will begin to reflect what God is calling me to. That's where the power is. That's transformation. I invite you into that place. There's risk involved to that, but it's where all the hope is. There's a little bit of uncertainty that's in that, but it begins to shift when you begin to lean into God's faithfulness. It opens up new possibilities in my home. In my neighborhood, in my world. That's the power I want to see. Paul wanted this to happen at the church of Corinth. They were too busy with all of their other measuring sticks and they were getting very distracted. They started judging things of the world. They said, Oh my goodness, we could just get what's happening in the church on the right track. The other stuff will take care of itself as we live out our faithfulness. You're preoccupied with the wrong things. Let's attend to our own business. I believe Paul would love for that to take place at San Diego First Church, would love for that to take place in the body of Christ worldwide. Let's give ourselves, not just to chatter, but to transformation. Father in heaven, This has been an exercise in chatter if it ends here. Forgive me for words that have just added upon other words. But hear our heart this morning, God, it feels filled with uncertainty to start digging beneath the surface of the water and seeing what's really there. Help us, Lord. Help me, Lord, to be confessional. Confessional about the ways that I have chosen to harden my heart. The ways in which I have filtered out the words and action and voices of other people. The many lenses that are part of my system of measurement. Father, forgive us. Forgive me. Lord, would it be possible for us to risk loving again? To risk being passionate about something that in the past has caused us hurt? To risk stepping into places that feel like in the past they've been landmines? And maybe it will hurt again, Lord. But maybe we approach it with a new heart. A new way of thinking, a transformed vision? Could we li- risk living with our anger, our despair? Instead of trying to push it away, could we instead begin to find our hope intermingled with our hurt? Our expectations and faith intermingled with our sorrow, our grief, our anger. Not an easy morning, Lord. Thank you for Paul's words. Help us not to just chatter about this. And just talk about things, but help us, Lord, instead to find a place of surrender, a willingness to take a deep dive, (sighs) to put on the swim gear and go after those things where we need to give over to you, to trust. So this morning, Lord, in these few moments of reflection, invite us to that place. Give us courage to go there. Help us to risk it more than once because those filters are incredibly strong. The scar tissue, pretty tenacious. Help us try again, Lord. Or for some of us to try for the first time a surrender to you, your grace, your invitation, your love.